guys, and welcome to Talking to Trailblazers. My name's Jack Corbett, and today I'm over the moon to be joined by a young and highly disruptive entrepreneur that's making a really big impact on the global distribution industry. Mr. Jackson Mayer, how are you doing this morning, my friend? I'm doing well, Jack. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. No, likewise. Thank you for putting some time aside to uh, to join us, mate. I am... Um, I've actually, over the last couple of days and couple of weeks, gone away and done a really good professional stalk on you and understood a lot more about the person and the business. And what I'd love to do is kind of hear that in, in your own words. For everybody's benefit who's having to listen to this, um, what is um, Veris Global? What do you guys exactly do? So Veris Global, um, we're a freight forwarding company. Uh, so we were established in 2019 in January. Um, I set up the business, uh, I guess, with a vision of obviously trying to disrupt a very old and uh, dated industry. Um, the way that I wanted to do it was kind of through branding and positioning. Um, you know, we set up an infrastructure whereby we essentially had, um, I guess, a global network from day one. Um, obviously, that is a kind of uh, a little bit risky in the fact that, you know, if we didn't get the business, um, we've got all these expenses going out. But um, the idea was that we would build it and they would come. Um, and mm-hmm. to date, we've been reasonably successful in that kind of uh, in that plan. Uh, but obviously, a few things go your way and a few things don't. Um, obviously, we might touch on uh, the global pandemic at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there's been a few events that we couldn't control, unfortunately. For sure, I would say, like like anybody, you know, you if you'd have started in January 2020, it would have probably been even tougher than starting in January 2019. But with all the best intentions in the world, best planning and, and foresight in the world. Nobody really saw this coming, right? Um, and, you know, maybe you'd have done things differently, but actually maybe the universe has a funny way of putting you in the exact position that you need to be in at the time you need to be there to learn the lessons necessary to to grow your business through this next growth market that we're going to enter over the next five, seven, ten years as well, right? Yeah, totally agree. But look, um, I would have liked to have done it about 10 years ago before this all went down. Um, yes. Obviously, you know, we've had a few <laughs> events like um, you know, the Hong Kong demonstrations that have been uh, continuous since about uh, March. Obviously, mm-hmm. the elections, which put a bit of, uh, you know, I guess, a bit of doubt in, uh, you know, people's minds in terms of consumers and stuff like that. So there's been a fair few events that we've had to kind of ride through. Um, yeah. But it's certainly been uh, a learning curve. For sure. Well, they say out of the frying pan and into the fire. And I think that it's funny because I've been speaking to a couple of startups that have been really only, say, 12 to 18 months in, in, the, in the game. And um, a lot of people are saying the same thing. You know, maybe I could have started this a few years earlier or a few years later. But I also think that being thrown in at the deep end, you know, and, and being forced to learn how to tread water or swim would suggest that the coming year should only get easier. You know, people always talk about the first 12 to 24 months being the toughest thing in business, a startup and a scale-up business. Do that in the middle of a global pandemic, Jackson, and I have a funny feeling this can only get easier for you. Moving well, look, I do have here. a few grey hairs, man, at the moment. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to not have them at uh, 24 years yes. of age, but look, we still got them. Um, yes. no, I totally agree. Look, obviously, um, the number one priority was to survive, um, yeah. particularly going through this. And, and the second was, I guess, to maintain the team that we have. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a fair bit of doubt going around in the world right now and um, being a global company, uh, it's kind of, I guess, battling at all fronts. So it was mm-hmm. just kind of stabilizing and stuff like that and making sure that, um, you know, we're kind of riding it through together. 
Yes, no, completely understand. And one thing I loved you said to me at the start was we, we went down a route of trying to give ourselves a significant point of difference through the way that we branded um, our service and the, the freight forwarding that we, that we offer. And I think 2020, now more than ever, branding is your centralized power. You know, like I look at back at say 2011, um, we enter a brand new global market in technology, the tablet market. Um, our two big players, Samsung and Apple, come to the market with their Galaxy and their iPad. And whilst technically the, the Galaxy is a far superior product, had greater storage, um, you know, had a better camera, had a longer lasting battery, had a bigger screen, many features of that Galaxy were better. But Apple took 87% of the market in that first 12 months because well, Apple just had that sexy, cool brand that we all at that mm -hmm. time just wanted to be associated with, right? So totally when it comes right. to, to your brand, what, what, what's your message to market? When, when people see Verus, what should they immediately think? Well, the freight forwarding industry, when you look at it from, I guess, an outsider's perspective, is very, very basic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the companies revolve around, oh, sorry, the names revolve around oh, sorry, freight logistics, um, you know, global and stuff like that. And typically the colours are green and blue, obviously representing, you know, sustainability and the ocean and the air. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we wanted to do was literally, I guess, do something that's completely different. You know, we wanted people to not know who we were from day one instead of, you know, hypothetically XYZ freight or XYZ logistics, um, where it's quite evident that you're an actual logistics player in the market. Um, so we wanted, like, there to be almost a bit of interest within the business um, a, lot, a lot of our staff are well regarded in the industry. So they were always going to, you know, I guess, generate some interest from the broader, uh, I guess, importers um, themselves. So what we try and do is um, obviously, you know, utilize tech, utilize the cloud systems, as well as overseas networks. Um, but certainly branding has been massive for us. Um, and we think that uh, by positioning ourselves in the market as different uh, through branding, it's certainly standing out. Yeah, amazing. And to listen to, to a, a man of 24 years of age come into an industry that at the moment, the CEOs of your major competitors, would it be fair to me to assume they're probably between the ages of, say, 45 and 60 on the whole? Um, <laughs> yeah. If, if not older. Yeah. We all uh, we have the same amount of grey hairs, man. Yes. <laughs> and what, um, typically, what sort of freight are you forwarding? Um, what, what would be some of your typical clients or products that you might move around the world? Uh, we do a lot of packaging, uh, a lot mm -hmm. of stationery, pharmaceuticals. Uh, I guess we've been lucky enough and I guess it was part of the strategy when setting up to steer well clear of, you know, fashion and retail. Um, we identified that as a risk uh, mm -hmm. and obviously it's been quite successful for us uh, not moving that kind of stuff right now. Uh, we're finding yep. that a lot of our competitors are really struggling uh, to actually lift the cargo um, due to obviously credit risks, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. but nothing really too exciting, but look, um, obviously the customers make your business and we just got to make sure that, uh, they're happy at the end of the day and, and we do yeah. our best to make sure that their, their needs are fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And with your, um, the business, obviously focusing on the specific types of things that you might distribute and then obviously being calculated and understanding what's carrying the greatest risk, um, moving forward, you know, looking at say, uh, what Amazon Prime may be as, as a global example, um, is the aim for you ultimately to be able to deliver anything anywhere or do you intend to stay niche so that you 
have a point of difference in terms of what it is you actually freight and who you deal with? It's a really good question. Look, um, I think that, to be honest, you really can't compete against you know, the likes of your DHL for parcels or, or UPS or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we try and do, we run a very asset-like business. Um, that allows us to operate off a very low-cost base. We haven't inherited any legacy systems. We don't have fixed over like massive fixed overheads in terms of you know computer, um, uh, uh, sorry, servers and stuff like that. So what we want to do, we want to offer our customers, you know, a very very top uh, notch customer service point, as well as accelerated logistics. So we do not want to branch into you know the kind of like parcels or those kinds of things. So we, I guess, you could look at it as we only really move bulky stuff. And stuff. So we don't really get involved in that kind of UPS space or, or DHL. No, it makes sense. And also you're looking at two, two players there, whether it be a toll logistics, DHL, yeah. UPS, yeah. FedEx, you know, you're talking about people that have got a hundred plus years yeah. of um, experience, relationships, you know, uh, process and procedure. So to go in and try and directly compete um, could be a little bit naive, but to come in, with your point of difference and to be able to come in alongside that branding to me gives you a real foothold in that market. And I guess I'd like to understand a little bit about technology is changing everything. I mean, even me mm-hmm. speaking to you right now, we're using a zoom call two years ago. This was unheard of, you know, <laughs> ten, 10 years ago when Skype first became available, we blew everybody's brains that we could call <laughs> for free through video anywhere in the world, right? So talk exactly. to me a little bit about how technology, um, artificial intelligence, robotics, um, you know, ever improving CRM systems are changing the way that we move products around the world at the moment. Um, I guess in terms of, I guess to relate it directly to our business, what I found extremely, I guess, exciting about setting up was if we actually did this five years ago, we would have had to buy servers, everything would have been done you know, through the old ways, you know, we set this up in 2019 whereby everything's on the cloud. You know, every single one of our offices operates off the same system. We all work like, you know, Microsoft 365. Um, so we've got the same, you know, email system. Our ERP platform runs live across all of our offices. So when someone in China keys, you know, some data in, I see it straight away. It's all live. Mm-hmm. So I find that really, really beneficial. And at the same token, it's all on the cloud. You know, we run completely paperless operations across all of our operations. Um, you know, that allows us to obviously save money um, as well as be sustainable for the environment, which is obviously key for us as well moving forward. Um, yeah. But it also allows us to operate in terms of, I guess, be extremely responsive with our clients mm-hmm. because we're not messing around doing all the stuff that potentially other competitors are. You know, we utilise the stuff like WeChat. Um, we, we do it diligently in terms of, you know, making sure if someone places an order that we keep a record of that order and then obviously upload that to the system, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's all about utilising these communication tools and platforms in order to, I guess, be as responsive as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. And, and do you feel like environment and sustainability, you've mentioned that twice, once not only being a priority for your company, but also seeming to be that the, the color schemes that are chosen by your competitors as well. And anybody who is using, say, a large amount of fossil fuels to power mm-hmm. planes or ships to move products around the world, they're constantly in that spotlight, right? What are you doing to, to for, for um, environmental purposes? So 
obviously I look at the way vehicles are changing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, someone like um, Mercedes-Benz making a commitment by 2023, never to produce a V8 engine again. By 2039, mm-hmm. never to produce a combustion engine again. Um, Tesla making great steps in that space. How How do you feel renewables and sustainable energy could now power global freight distribution um, or, so recently, or, or is for that matter? Yeah. So recently uh, all of the shipping lines actually came to an agreement whereby uh, they've switched to a lower sulfur fuel, which is obviously better for the environment. So that's a great step in the right direction. Um, I do think that uh, a lot of people within the space, um, I guess, aren't as diligent as what they could be in terms of, um, I guess, being aware of uh, how much they're producing, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yep. yeah. So look, I think that in terms of the industry itself, it could definitely be improved. Um, and if, I guess, because it's obviously controlled by a lot of larger players um, and they mm-hmm. make up the bulk of the market share, um, if they're able to come to an agreement whereby, you know, they say that, you know, they all abide by X, you know, X rule um, and that they can... I guess, draw back and help the environment move forward. And uh, I think that would be very beneficial. But um, for us, you know, we run a completely paperless organisation across all of our offices um, and we're very conscious about what we do and what we produce moving forward Um, and particularly who our um, customers are buying off as well um, if we know that they're obviously not, uh, I guess, procuring in the right way. Um, You know, we're not going to condone that, to be honest. Um, And obviously... Yeah, we've got a policy in China as well about um, shark fins and stuff like that. So um, obviously, it's notorious uh, for them to uh, potentially eat that. So, uh, you know, we're not about that. So uh, that's completely banned in our organization as well. Yeah, understand that for sure. I guess you become, it's funny that you said that because I think from from my perspective, myself and my business partner, Ryan Tuckwood, we own a sales training company. And we have to be very mindful in who we teach how to sell because if somebody is unethical or somebody is not ultimately doing right by their customer, then they become an extension of our brand. They go out there and use our techniques to not for the betterment of their community, not for the best interest of the end user and turn around and it's like, well, hold on, didn't you help those guys to to rip all those thousands of people off? Um, So I completely understand you taking time to fully analyze the people that you're working alongside and the methods that they're using in their production as well. Because it's all well and good you freighting it in a um, environmentally sensitive way, but if it's being produced in a completely right. polar opposite manner, then it's really just defeating the point, right? Correct. Um, in the first place. Yeah, I get that. Well, that's a really good insight into your business. Let me let me understand the man behind the business. Talk to me. Who 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 is Jackson? I, I know you live. I thought there, I thought this question was off limits, man. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk, talk to me a little bit about the the man, the character. Where where, where did you grow up? What what was important to you as a teenager? Where where was your time and attention placed, and what kind of got you by the age of twenty four, at such a young tender age, into um, a fantastic position with such a, a, a rapidly globally expanding business? Uh, I'm certainly not the sharpest one in the shed. Um, I grew up, grew up in Melbourne. Um, obviously, studied at school. Uh, didn't do too well, unfortunately. When I was studying at school, I um, was lucky enough to work for a freight forwarding and logistics company uh, based in Heatherton in, in Melbourne. Um, and I used to potentially uh, leave school a little bit early uh, and head to the warehouse and join the boys unpacking containers, uh, picking orders and those kinds of things um, mm-hmm. and really enjoyed it. I, I love the fact that, you know, you're able to communicate with people from 
I guess, different backgrounds and nationalities and cultures um, and mm-hmm. go together and complete a task together as a team. Um, mm-hmm. From there, uh, I, I completed school, uh, but I didn't get, I guess, a good enough result in order to proceed into a course that would potentially lead me down this path. Um, mm-hmm. So I studied a pathway uh, in logistics and then I got into a Bachelor of Business, uh, obviously focusing in logistics and supply chain. Um, towards the back end of it, I had one subject to go and an opportunity presented itself mm-hmm. to start Veris. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up leaving uni early uh, mm-hmm. and and taking uh, that opportunity with both hands. But um, now certainly, I guess when I was growing up, I looked up a lot to my parents. Um, I thought they were a great inspiration in order. I guess their work ethic and their priorities and what they put forward. Um, obviously, they sacrificed a lot for myself, uh, but for both of them as well as for a family. My mum moved away when I was quite young uh, in order to, I guess, I guess grow the company uh, that they were working for at the time. So mm-hmm. obviously, I respect that a lot, and it wasn't an easy decision for her. So I'm a very simple man, but uh, yeah, I just enjoy time with family and stuff like that and friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it, mate. And I think there's one thing that anybody who's listening to this that's looking for some inspiration, one thing I was really inspired by by Jackson was understanding that he actually didn't go down the traditional education path to lead to success. Um, you weren't, as in your own words, the sharpest tool in the shed. You didn't <laughs> get OP1, you know, grade A star at, at high school. Um, I didn't qualify to go straight to university. I had to take the difficult route, you know, um, to yeah. get there. Um, and then eventually I did find my way to uni. I got 90% down the road and then everything I was working for presented itself before I'd finished. And I guess I'm not here to uh, discredit um, people who have gone away and got tertiary level education or postgraduate certificates, master's degrees, doctorates, you know, God bless you and good on you because you become a master in your field. But it's not the only way to get there. It's not the only road to the top of the mountain. I mean, similarly to you, Jackson, I was kicked out of school at 14 years of age. Um, I have Asperger's syndrome, a mild form of autism. I was very, very um, slim in my attention span. And I guess I grew up in a very impoverished area, low socioeconomic area where you were taught to fight for what you believed in and fighting and violence was just very, very normal. So leaving school at the age of 14, thinking because I didn't have a high school diploma, because I didn't have a degree, I was never going to be successful. But I've still managed to start, grow and sell three multi-million dollar businesses by the age of 29. And I think someone like you at the age of 24 can sit there to anybody else and say, hey, you might be a 14 to 16 year old listening to this right now thinking because I'm not OP6, I'm not going to succeed. Well, that's bullshit. That's absolute BS because you've got two, two pieces of evidence here of people who are not the, the, the sharpest knife in the drawer by any stretch of the imagination, but have still managed through determination and hard work and discipline to arrive in the same position. So, um, mate, that's a, that's amazing. I guess if you were to now rewind the clock, go back to 14 to 16-year-old Jackson, you know, sort of mid-pubescent Jackson. Ooh. Emotions all over the place, hormones all over the place, Ooh. being told he needs to know what he wants to do for the rest of his life, but doesn't even know what he wants for dinner. Um, what would your guidance or advice be to the 14 to 16 year old self in retrospect? Um, look, I personally, I wouldn't change the thing. I really enjoyed the fact that I wasn't, I guess the best person at that stage in my life and probably not still right now. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, you know, school wasn't, um, a major focus of mine at the time, but I, I love the fact that, um, I found something that people would normally not 
pursue but end up in in terms of logistics and supply chain. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you're, you know, you're 12 years old and you dream of moving to containers from A to B. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, look, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, Most people it's want to be like a footy player or yeah. an actor exactly, or a singer a doctor or, or something. Or, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't really want to move a container from, uh, you know, from Shanghai to Melbourne every day. But yeah. look, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I love it. I love I've always been social. I really enjoy, you know, communicating with people from, you know, all types of age brackets from, you know, when I was younger, I loved communicating with people that were older or um, I always got along with people that were older. And I just found that, you know, if, if you're obviously, as we're saying, not sharp as the shed, but you have the skills in order to communicate and form relationships, I think that um, you're going to be fine in whatever, I guess, route you take. Um, yes. You know, I really value the fact that if you can hold a conversation um, with anyone, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to get you quite far in life, to be honest. Yeah, I think that that's such a huge thing for me that you've just said there because I think communication is the number one number one skill set any young person can learn in the world. Know how to talk. Know how to have a social etiquette, a professional etiquette. Know how to qualify people. Know how to consult. Know how to make a presentation. Know how to, to project value in something yeah learn tonality learn body language understand how your facial expressions have a non-verbal communication but um these things just aren't taught in schools right and i think we're unfortunately having a generation now that communicate more but communicate verbally a lot less they don't actually physically speak to each other it's very much digital communication in the modern day you know Oh, I, I think, think it's going to get worse with um, the situation we're finding ourselves in now. Like, you know, mm. kids that are going to school, they're not seeing each other every day. No, you know, keep, no. Yeah, it's terrible. Learning through a computer screen. Exactly. Right? I'm going mad. That, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, well, I think there's so much of the social side of school too, right? It's what happens between lessons, on the way there, on the way home, the bus journey, the in, in the playground, in the sports yeah. matches, the lunches. That's where a lot of your... I talk about book smart and, and street smart. And I don't mean street smart as in you've got to live on the street or you've got to be a, a drug dealer or a criminal to be street smart. What I mean is just having some knowledge of how society and communities operate you know, successfully and how to be a member of a community and add value to it as well. So, yeah, I love all, I'm loving all of this stuff. I guess I would want to take it in then to a little bit of, you know, the benefits of being a young entrepreneur. Because you said something that I completely agree with. I noticed when I was 14 and 15, I always seemed to be surrounded by 40 to 50 year olds. I felt most comfortable in a room full of adults, Mm. parents, even sometimes grandparents, because I felt like they had a richness of experience and wisdom with which I could tap into and benefit from. But if I put that on it, flip it on its head, I also think there is such a stagnation of ideas and creativity. We are three generations in a row now from probably 1945 till say 1995, about 50 years mm. there, where if it wasn't broke, we were never gonna fix it, right? So I understand the benefits of, of age and experience and wisdom, but talk to me about some of the benefits of having 20 year olds. I'm 29, you're 24, you know, this whole young entrepreneurial community that Camilla Jansen and Business News Australia have created are all under 40. Talk to me about what you think the benefits are of having younger people um, at the heads of businesses in this country at, at present. Look, I think Camilla's done such a fantastic job. Um, I, I wasn't able to go to the Gold Coast event, but I went to the Melbourne event. Um, mm-hmm. And to be able to socialise, obviously, I think at the time I was like 23, to be able to sit on the table with, I guess, 
you know, business owners and, and founders of companies and, you know, kind of pick their brains as to how they got there, you know, what their plans are. I find that regardless of what industry you're actually in, what Camilla has been able to form um, is a community whereby, you know, regardless if you're in freight or, you know, you're creating um, a PR company, like you can kind of all work together to form something beneficial for all parties. And even if you're not trying to do business through that kind of event, you know, you can actually pick their brains as to, you know, for instance, we're talking about communication. Um, if I'm sitting on a table with someone from a PR company, um, obviously they're the best at communication reach. Um, it's all about trying to, I guess, learn off each other. And I think that what Business News Australia does in the events um, and, you know, forming the community of the young entrepreneurs, you know, kind of Australia-wide is just amazing. Um, Mm. You know, I really, really enjoy, uh, I guess, being a part of it and find it a massive, a massive uh, achievement, to be honest. Yeah. Very proud. Yeah. No, that's brilliant, mate. I really like it. And then I, I know that for me, there's quite a few people on the young entrepreneurial scene here in Australia that I really look up to. So people like a, a Russell Coven, a Jack DeLosa, um, you know, a Nick Molnar, a Thomas Steiner. Cause I, I look at these people and I think, wow, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. They got 24 hours in a day. Their shit stinks. They got to go to sleep for six hours. You know, there's nothing, they don't have any more capacity or opportunity than I do. And they really motivate me. Mm. But who, who do you mostly look up to in the game of business? Is there any, sort of mentors or idols that you look at and think, wow, I just love the way you go about it. To be honest, not, there's not many, to be honest. I'm not really engaged so much in terms of, I'm definitely not a book reader. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely don't Mm -hmm. really uh, get engaged in those kinds of things. But I I Mm -hmm. found that one of the biggest inspirations for me personally and one that I was really able to relate to was uh, a guy called Guy Russo. Mm-hmm. Um, I found his story and the way he goes about it and the way he treats people um, mm-hmm. to be really, really um, inspiring to be honest. Uh, you know, he treats everyone regardless of what their role is with respect. Yes. Um, yes. He treats everyone the same. Obviously, you come across people that don't do that. Um, and, you know, I've, I feel that, you know, that's something that, if you meet someone that goes down the wrong path in terms of how they treat people, you can definitely be led astray quite young. Um, mm-hmm. And I really mm-hmm. found that to be, um, I guess, a massive, a massive learning curve for me moving forward um, as well as something that I can inspire to be like, yeah, I guess, moving forward as well. For sure. And I think we, we came out of the back of that Americanized, you know, uh, high growth Dow Jones, Wall Street style driven, put up or mm. shut up, you know? Do your yeah, job exactly. or, or DCM, don't come Monday, you know? And it was kind of like, you you can't question the authority. And that totalitarian dictatorship style, yes, it may have had place 40 years ago, 50 years ago, but we're far too connected, we're far too educated, and there are far too many opportunities available for good staff members, talented human beings to put up with your shit as an employer, you know? There's, there's, a, there's just so many other opportunities ready and waiting for them. So I love that you've said that because... It's coming out of you in this conversation that you're expressed several times a position of kind of gratitude and humility. And what I teach in my training programs is that humor and humility are the two fastest ways, two um, personality traits with which humans will align themselves to at speed. So listening to you talk about Guy and whether you were the toilet cleaner or you were his second in charge, he Mm. he treated you with the same respect gave you the same time, had the same manners, um, having that humanistic approach and remembering regardless of the scope of somebody's role, everyone's equally as important part to this overall puzzle. 
Um, I think it's an incredible leadership technique. I guess I've got two more questions before I let you go. And one of them would be going into that, then that humility and, and leadership. I believe leadership is one of the key attributes or disciplines that you need to have to be a truly successful entrepreneur. Um, what do you think of some of the others? What do you think of some of the major personality traits or disciplines or routines that are necessary to achieve abundant success in the game of business ownership? Uh, one, relationships. That is mm-hmm. huge in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, and I guess just being able to relate to people um, and being able to, I guess, communicate. Uh, for instance, you know, when we first started, I had really not much of a clue about much to do with operations or anything mm. um, and was trying to micromanage, you know, staff that have done it for, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, that definitely wasn't the way to go. Like mm. now, you know, looking back at it and I've definitely changed, like, you know, we're all on the same level. You let them do their thing. Obviously, you know, everyone cares. We're on it together. Um, mm-hmm. To be able to bind a team together as well, I think is extremely important. To be able to form, I guess, one big family, and drive everyone as a team and a collective will hold you in good stead moving forward. Yeah, I love it, mate. So things like the humility, the communications, the relationships, a, a commitment and a passion. But above yeah. that, what I've just put an asterisk beside, because I think people forget when I'm having these conversations, Jackson, I'm going to school too, right? I'm learning from everybody I'm speaking to um, as much as, you know, the, the people who are listening to this um, each week get to as well. But um, the thing that I just got there is you were able to minimize or eliminate your ego, which meant you were willing to be able to say, I don't know the answer, which means you were therefore willing to get it wrong. Um, you were willing to use the people who you were employing to tap into their years of experience and understanding so that you could become a better leader of those people. Now, there are so many of you listening to this that wouldn't want ever someone in your team to know that you didn't know the answer to something. When you actually eliminate that ego, you realize that you empower that person to assist you. And then we all continue to grow and develop as a team. Team Teamwork ultimately makes the dream work, right? Absolutely, man. Um, Absolutely. Totally. So last one then from me before I let you get back to your day, buddy. Um, this is a bloody crazy time. You know, I don't think the world has ever <laughs> oh. been this. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have a global freight forwarding business that is um, has a centralized hub out of the world's largest distribution hub being China. Um, China was obviously at the epicenter of this global pandemic and possibly where it actually originated from. So talk to me about the challenges of continuing to do large volumes of freight from China to Australia when the movement of goods and people has become so difficult? Oh, see, if I had any hand left, I'd be ripping it out right now. So <laughs> when, um, when it first kind of hit, it fell in line with Chinese New Year. So effectively, they were down for seven, eight weeks. Um, wow. The number one priority for me personally was to ensure that all of the staff got paid, um, they were safe, and I guess we were able to kind of survive in China. Um, we've got such a massive workforce over there. We've got seven offices and over 40 staff in China alone. So it's obviously a massive expense for us. Um, mm-hmm. And for them not to be able to work for seven or eight weeks is a lot of money going out. Um, the Chinese government was fantastic in terms of, um, you know, supporting local businesses and stuff like that in terms of uh, benefits on, you know, social security and stuff, which I, I personally think Australia could learn a lot. 
to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't even qualify for JobKeeper. Um, we had to make staff take pay cuts here. Um, mm-hmm. Back to the, the original question, though, instead of getting into politics. Um, look, we were we, – we did struggle, to be honest, um, and I think everyone did. Um, I think the hardest part, which everyone forgets, is that although they were down for seven or eight weeks, when that influx of cargo that was supposed to move in that seven or eight weeks comes, what yeah. happens on this side in Australia? Yeah, cash flow is absolutely smashed. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And we, you know, we're having sleepless nights worrying about obviously funds, and you can't predict what your customers are going to order. They don't even know, right? No. Um, yeah, it's just mayhem. Uh, yes. Now I think that it's certainly the demand's still strong, uh, mm-hmm. but I certainly think that the peak will end reasonably soon. Uh, usually, you would have seen. I guess an upwards trend towards Christmas with obviously the Christmas rush, but um, no, I don't think that will continue this year, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. and it's so hard because you, you went from probably having like a five-year plan or a three-year plan or a one-year mm. plan or even a quarterly plan. You had to throw all of those out in March. I think we, I was struggling personally working week to week. It was almost a, oh, a day or two at a time. And it become, we had to become so short-sighted. You know, it was that real head down, ass up. Don't worry about tomorrow because there might not even be a tomorrow. Let's, let's just win today. <laughs> exactly. you know? and, um, so, yeah, I think obviously we're just starting to feel that ease a little bit. And um, I'd like to hope for many businesses that are in the retail um, space or distribution space that Christmas being around the corner. You know, I know we start talking Christmas early November, don't we? So um, mm. with with all of you know sort of 90, 1992 days to get rid of. It's time to put up the, uh, the Easter eggs, Matt. <laughs> yes, yeah, it gets like that, doesn't it? Eventually, yeah. but um, yeah. Matt, if I if I in closing then could ask, we have a lot of people in our community that work in um, in, in the retail and wholesale um, space. Um, so if they were looking to utilize uh, the Vera service, uh, where would they go? How could they, could they contact you? Um, how could they get in touch to use your services? Certainly uh, feel free to contact me. Uh, my email is jmeyer, M-E-Y-E-R, at verus, V-E-R-U-S, hyphen global.com, uh, and we'll happily assist moving forward. Yeah, amazing. Well, listen, on behalf Thanks, of everybody from uh, the Young Entrepreneur community, really appreciate 40 minutes of your time and to get to understand Jackson and, and Verus as a business. Thank you, mate. Really appreciate yeah. your time. No problem. Take care, my friend. We'll speak soon. Cheers, now. Thank you. Bye. Bye, buddy. Bye-bye.